Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yo, what's up? This is Craig from Sydneyans. Up until about a few hours ago, literally, I was just hanging out minding my own business in Australia with these motherfuckers from Unsung. Asked me to say some words about their latest installment of the mixtape. It's gonna be some dark shit. This is Craig Carrick signing out. Hey folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. Yeah, hi there. Yeah, try to keep yes. the energy levels we'll, up, guys. We only Come made on. Martin do that about five times. Yeah. Only got the necessary energy. <laughs> it's all our guys. I, I got my I got my tap half on number three, <laughs> <laughs> spinning it around his head. Yes. Uh, yeah, welcome to the Unsung Podcast, part two of the Cover Mount mixtape. The we need a name for it, don't we? If we're going to continue this part. We don't need to do part one ever again, because mm. that, that would be weird. <laughs> that would be weird. But now, if we're going to continually talk about occasional... Uh, no, I still like we, a cover Mount Zion, but that's, uh, that's yeah, me. maybe. <laughs> I think that's well, a sh- well, we'll we'll discuss this off here. <laughs> yeah, we def- definitely will. <laughs> it's a soft no. <laughs> I saw that I don't like it. It's just that there's, there's reasons why we shouldn't use it. <laughs> so the format of last week's show was that we took a dive into the history of cover mounts what are they breaking apart the term looking at flexi discs looking at cassettes looking at cds and chatting a little bit about first of all the fact that nobody seems to be able to work out how exactly they worked and we're still looking into that uh, but also what impact they had on us culturally and what's been lost since they they stopped being a thing and were replaced or some superseded let's give it the benefit of the doubt by uh, playlists whereas the format of This part, part two, will be the four of us, in this case, looking at a specific cover mount. Um, Now, we chose one in particular for reasons that shall hopefully become obvious, but we're going to go through it, maybe as we would a normal album, analyse track by track, see what funny roads they lead us down, and try and pick something of a a good, the bad, and the ugly, you know, the highlight, the low light, and maybe just something unusual, something weird, an anomalous track, an anomalous band, a band that has some weird bit of lore about them or whatever. But for the purposes of this episode, we wanted to kind of start off hot, uh, and we selected uh, Kerrang Radio Volume 5. Uh, quite a distinctive looking cover mount uh, disc for people that that know it Um, and also as we mentioned last week (laughs) the the choice for the first episode of another podcast really good podcast Uh, yeah the guys from we dig music do a monthly podcast called free with this month's issue uh, where they talk about cover mount cds and they get people in to talk about their favorite one and very oddly we only discovered this like an hour before we did this episode they chose exactly the same cd 
uh, to kick off their entire for their thing. first one. Yeah. So and a shout out to Mosher Mags on Instagram. I think it's oh him. yeah, that's class. Mags. This girl called Rachel. Rachel, who's guested on their podcast a couple of times, and that is, I think, I sent you a, a message saying pay dirt because yeah, she yeah, has, yeah. seems to have all the posters, all the stickers, all the all the things, and I think even just uh, a couple of days ago she put um, she's doing free February, so it's all the free stuff. He used to get with magazines. So oh, yeah. she's got these amazing Instagram pictures of all the governments, all the posters, all the stickers, and all the rest of it. So check that out. And wow. uh, probably a, a good shout for a guest for you. That's um, pretty cool. The lane as well. Yeah. So, yeah. so what that makes me think, though, is there there must be a method to my madness when I when I sort of said, let's do this one, right? For me, I picked Kerrang Radio 5 because I thought it had a good mix. You know, it has some kind of stod got quite a bad mix. Yeah, some well, bad mix. Well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 1998, right? So it had the kind of stodgy new metal of the era. It had the kind of hints at cyber metal, but it had some of the emerging Brit rock scene or the early buds of the Brit rock scene. It had post grunge, some awkward post grunge, and then it had a bunch of other kind of very confused and and ill suited things, as well as a couple of bands that were actually a wee bit of a a throwback. Uh, to some extent so it, it just seemed like a nice sort of blend um and some of these bands went on to do really well and others just sank into obscurity <laughs> so yeah i mean that i i can only assume that there must have been a reason they also chose it and uh, hopefully it's something similar maybe we, we can find out by by listening to that show now um let's let's have a wee look at it yeah let's get into it man craig did you know this one Yes, this was, uh, yeah, 98. I was 16 years old, and this is one that um, I think I remember. I remember the issue quite well, actually, because I was into Sepultura, yeah. and uh, Max Cavalera was uh, doing this new band called Soulfly, and uh, he was on the cover, and obviously loved Deftones, and we'll talk about that. Chino Morel comes in and does the intro. Um, but yeah, I was really keen on hearing what Soulfly would be doing. Uh, I'd heard one track before this. Yeah, I think I think Bleed had been released as a radio track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it had been, and um, and I dug, I dug that to be honest. Yeah, but like as we were saying in the previous episode, I think sometimes labels or bands would take the opportunity to like sort of grab the front page and the uh, you know the cover mount CD and go, all right, we are launching either a CD, you know, a new album, or in this case, even a new project. Um, yeah, and that was that was very cool, and it, it was such a it felt like a strange choice that. Um, Shino Moreno did the intro, but there wasn't a Deftone song on it. Um, yeah. Obviously, they had they had Adrenaline out in 95, and then Around the Fur in 97, and there's a little sample of uh, My Own Summer, um, Shove It, or whatever you want to call it. But this is before, you know, Deftones became white pony Deftones, you know, and were massive. So this is... the. How cool was Chino Moreno in 1998? That's that's a kind of a question. I yeah, guess I think they cool were they were still quite a new metal intro. band though. They hadn't like outgrown that, but they were a cool new metal band. I think a more important question is how rough is Chino Moreno? Well, how, or how high? How baked is he? He's either hungover or baked. <laughs> What's up? This is Chino from Deftones. After about five minutes ago, I was just minding my own business, hanging out in London, 
And then these motherfuckers from Kerrang bursting and asking me to say a few words and welcome you to the latest installment of Radio Kerrang. <laughs> from the sound of it, they, wow. it sounds like the Kerrang journalist is probably interviewing him before a show and then has gone, oh yeah, you know, like I remember doing it on student radio. Like, oh, can you just say, uh, I'll listen to student radio. I'm Chino Reno. <laughs> so Kerrang have obviously just come in and said, oh yeah, we're doing a strange government CD. Can yeah. we do this? We cleared it with your PR first. <laughs> so um, he doesn't know what the fuck's so, going on. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I, I read that. Um, anyone who was on the cd had to be in the magazine in some way shape or form yeah and uh and this is so deftones were probably in there and editorial some somehow um I don't have the magazine, but I imagine they would have been. To, I managed to, to go through a few this. pages of it online. I don't have the magazine, but there was like a back... Somebody was selling a back issue and it had a few pages of it. But yeah, there, there would have been such a nice segue, which we'll get into when we go into uh, talking about the Soulfly track. But um, obviously, there would have been a, a really nice segue from, from Head Up. Uh, yeah. yeah. Deftones and Max Cavalera. But. That's... I find that really uh, surprising. I. That, Which that, is, you know, head up, head up's an album track that would surely would have been one of the cheaper ones to put on this CD. But I wonder why that I, didn't happen. I don't even necessarily mean that they, they should have included the song. They could have, perhaps, but I'm more surprised that they didn't have some sort of reference to the fact that Chino and Max had had worked together on things. Did did, did Marina might not appear in Soulfly as well? Uh, yeah, 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 he was yeah, he, he was on the album as well. Yeah, yeah. jumped the, the fuck up, wasn't yeah, it? and and vi- vice versa. So I, I thought well, the thing is, he might have, they might have recorded that two months knowing exactly. the CD was out, yeah, yeah. but not knowing not, not knowing what was going that, on. The that's list. what I'm led to believe. Like that's what I would assume because otherwise, it's such a good opportunity for Chino to say, "Oh, there's this sick track by Soulfly up next, great band." You know, it's like there's no mm-hmm. there's no referencing to anything on it. Music's loud and it's free. You got tons of cool shit on here. I guarantee you it'll sound even better if you turn your stereo all the way up to 10. So enjoy Radio Kerrang, Volume 5, and keep your ears open for more noise from Deftones soon. This is Chino Marino signing out. Um, I mean, he really can't be fucked. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, I mean, he's, as you say, Craig, he's, he's, I think he still had good currency. I mean, Deftones, even though they weren't quite the thinking man's new metal band at that point because White Pony hadn't come out, they were definitely better than most. And... He, they had a kind of they, they they were less stodgy they were more of a skater new metal band you know even just their look mm-hmm. they had yeah. a lighter touch with, with, with and they had Be Quiet and Drive which was like a big epic song and I, I, just, I think women liked Deftones shock <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't catch them on this podcast this week um, you know the thing is just a Deftones intro it's worthwhile to, to, to even have just this guy's voice on there and that, that really I also just quite like the gimmick of Radio Kerrang And they were like Oh well we better have Somebody introduce it Like a DJ um, But I mean that's it It's like A minute of somebody Introducing it <laughs> And this was bed. probably This would have been One of the last Radio Kerrangs I think Because then Just the Covermount CD Became as much Like Oh just get on The Covermount CD They didn't have to Pretend to be a radio show Or whatever Yeah and so far We're on the cover as well um i'm just looking at that on my uh computer now and it's yeah free monster cd kind of thing <laughs> and it's so fly the whole band on the cover who apart from matt's Cal- cavalera are essentially kind of nobodies but yeah Soulfly, no just track number no. two <laughs> So, you know what? No. 
I think this has aged pretty well. No. Absolutely no. not. <laughs> so Soulfly, you know, Max had left uh, Sepultura, but they'd done uh, Roots, which was pretty much a new metal record. You know, it wasn't thrash metal anymore. Yeah, it's a progenitor. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so Soulfly was his new project. And uh, it's interesting listening to this and you're like, Slipknot don't really sound like Korn. Slipknot sound like Soulfly. And, yeah. you know... Uh, at the sort of bouncier new metal bit like soulfly pretty much the peak of that just bottom bouncy new metal um and i i think they're very fun i think they're fun i genuinely think they're fun i think he had like a four string guitar or something at the time yeah he only had four strings on his little uh, <laughs> esp <ESD laughs> sort of thing like the this this is catnip to me. Like the song starts off with just like, just teenage rage, and then the line about no motherfucking hoodie and the blowfish. I did, I did enjoy that. To be fair, I did enjoy that. No, am I losing my mind here, or does he sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger when he says that? Hey, no motherfucking hoodie and the blowfish. Yeah, Get to the chopper. Yeah. But but so fly. If you think about it, they're they're a pretty unique band. You know, yeah. taking like several two are a unique band, and then mix that with everything that's going on here all the you know like bleed like bleed is probably the only time i actually liked fred durst to be honest i think mm. it was good you know the first album didn't come out until after this i think the i think the first sofi it came out in april of 98 and this cd was february so mm-hmm. it was kind of a big deal um i think i might have heard eye for an eye which is a fucking that's actually, that's well. actually yeah, a that's good song banger. that's a good song mm. That was on another Covenant CD, I think. And yeah, Bleed's awesome. I've got a story that will relate to you, Chris, about that tune, Head Up, we were talking about. I think my first ever band audition was playing bass for a band. I can't remember the name of it. It might have been Defect. Mm-hmm. Uh, most most likely spelled wrong in a new metal kind of way. Mm-hmm. And it I featured uh, you, one of your long-time drummers, Pete Flett, who's a bit of a Glasgow guy. And there was this other guy who sung. He looked like an amalgam of... Uh, Zaganzag. He was called Chris, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I I was trying out for to be the bass player and I had to learn a few songs and I had to learn uh, Roots by Sepultura, uh, Tent on Hammer by Machine Head, classic, and Head Up by Deftones. And uh, I don't know, I can't even remember if they had any original songs. And it only lasted one gig before getting the old heave ho. And I don't know if I got the elbow because I was just rubbish or because I broke my strings going fucking moy at the gig (laughs) or because I was just too much of a (laughs) schemey. Anyway, I can't really remember too much as I was about 16 at the time, but it encouraged me to learn guitar instead (laughs) and make more terrible music. (laughs) You still think I'm fucking mental, right? But see the simplicity of the riff in this. Mm Mm-hmm. This is this thing that new metal did, right? There is a pop simplicity to that riff. Yeah. It's like, if the yeah yeah yeahs played the doomiest, slowest, dirtiest music, there's a silly, easy accessibility mm-hmm. to that. It's like really, really simple. Effortless. And there's the looseness in the drums as well. That's like 
yeah, it's just like roots. You know, I totally say roots is that progenitor. I think that one of the one of the sad things is that I think the bridge in this tune weighs it down by being kind of glommy and sort of a bit mm. saggy you know it, it, it is the new metal of this it's actually quite I, I, I honestly I can't believe I'm saying it but I think it's quite decent until that bridge just burdens it like a big fat beer belly of a bridge man. don't like okay, that. So, so Cav- Cavalera's Scream is obviously iconic, right? And it's just, and the sound of this band, that kind of weird Brazilian world music thing mixed with metal, then new metal kind of thing. It's just kind of weird and cool, but it's of an era. It's maybe the best one on the CD, but I'm not going to kick my chickens too early. But we have to talk about Ross Robinson. This yeah. is his era. He fucking dominated. Absolutely. I, hang on a second, though. Before we go on for that, I just want to check. Do you think when they shat on Hootie and the Blowfish, not once but twice in the song, it started a flame war? Where, like, <laughs> Hootie started like, Mark, calling out. Mark, have you ever heard of Hootie and the Blowfish? Yeah, of course. <laughs> have you? <laughs> you should see his face. I think there's very much, it dates it in, in a very specific way. Where yeah. it's like kids these days would be like, what the fuck's. In a blowfish. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I couldn't, go, I couldn't go over on this song is like how they try, how they've made the guitar sound like so super unaggressive, <laughs> despite the fact it's heavy. It, it just feels like they've shown off all the all the rug, rugged edges. So it's just it's just like a fucking wet fish. <laughs> oh, it was it was so amazing when you seen. I remember seeing him on their first tour live. I think they were supported by Glassjaw. And this would have been yeah. nine maybe at the garage, and uh, and they had all the guys from like Nail Bomb and all that. It was just, it was so visceral, disguised with like these big kind of Kerry King style, like kind of um, nail arm armor kind of things, just like absolutely going for it. And it was, uh, and they were playing all these insane instruments, these kind of weird Brazilian instruments that they would hit with a bow and it had a kind of just really kind of ethnic looking instruments with this like obviously super heavy metal kind of Max Cavalera, one big dreadlock screaming his fucking arse off, covered in acne. <laughs> <laughs> just just amazing. So uh Ross Robinson. Uh, um, yeah. He also produced uh, the next track, he did, did he not? <laughs> oh my god. He, <laughs> he, he, pro- he certainly produced it. The next track, Goodbye Crew World by the band Cold, uh, was pitched directly at me, I think, uh, at this point, <laughs> being that it was basically a blend of Nirvana and Korn. Yeah. Um, the guitar sound like a fart in a jar. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> it, I mean, it does not sound like Ross Robinson because it sounds really bad <laughs> well wait a second though right so I, I loved this band's first album at this point it was really simple just had their name in the front red cover blue logo thing um, it, it had this gloomy grunge that sort of vibed a bit like the track Jimmy from Enema by Tool
it was like a full album of that tune, which I was quite into. But what the fuck is the guitar and bass tone? It, it, it's a tractor about to stall. It's tectonic plates sped up. It's like pushing mountains around in the ocean floor. It's such a strange, grindy, unmusical sound that somehow underpins this song. And the chorus is weird because other than those like few picked notes, it has no hook. There's almost no guitar that you can actually hear. You can hear that grinding sound, but all mm-hmm. the mid and all the actual tonality of the guitar has been stripped out. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the thing is, though, I fucking loved it. I mean, I loved this band. I really liked that. That that was a really corn, sort of down-tuned, dirty approach to sort of bleachy Nirvana. And I was I was really fucking sold on that. It's got some really heavy China symbol use in the bridge, which was total bang on 90s new metal. And the band themselves, you know, they didn't last even into their second album. I got their second album, uh, but I did that thing where I listened to it, but knew it was crap. You know, you you, you were both trying, but aware that this was not going anywhere and that you you weren't going to keep it. So you you talked about the name on the cover. They used to be called Grundig, which (laughs) you might remember, Chris, which was a brand, like a German brand of like VHS. I had a shite TV, Grundig. And I hate to bring up bloody Fred Durst again, but he's responsible for this pish because he handed it to Ross Robinson, (laughs) two-track demo, when they were called Grundig. Grundig, the German company, tried to sue them something for like 300 grand or something. So Wes Borland, also from Les Limp Bizkit, said, why don't you just call your band Cold? And they went, went for it. But uh, excuse the pun, but yeah, this, this, this track leaves me cold. <laughs> <laughs> I think by saying the guitars sound like a fart in a jar, the reason I'm saying that is because the vocal is pure butt rock. So if you follow the simile here... Well, then yeah, it's I was going to say legit. there's definite butt rock <laughs> vibes to this. It's new metal meets butt rock. So. Yeah, I, I, heard, I heard butt rock in a previous episode can you give me a definition oh, of it that is, this, rock is like, it's basically midwest <laughs> step post grunge post creed sort of stuff <laughs> so yeah it's everything from creed to puddle of mud to uh, nickelback need of a dead man it's basically if you've got a pickup <laughs> and you live in ohio then it's butt rock so the, his voice is so overwhelmingly that that it, all, it does sound a little bit like he's sort of eating peanut butter or something like that. at the same time it's, it's he's he's overemphasized it so much i mean it's he's nearly got quite a english accent in it as well yeah so the real yeah yeah, yeah you're right. it's like an english person putting on an american accent yeah oh, that's strange I spoke about that vocal technique at the grunge episode. Remember what it was called? Yeah, I can't remember. Now. It, was my, it was actually my wee brother that said in the crowd what it was called, and I can't fucking remember. Something vowels it was. Anyway. Uh, okay, next up. Let's get serious. Dave, how about you take this one? Uh, yeah, Self Healer by Idlewild. That's from their um, debut mini EP, Captain or mini album, and yeah, fucking hell. So this was when Idlewild were rocking, famously um, termed by Enemy as sounding like a. F- they sound like a flight of stairs falling down a flight of stairs. <laughs> uh, you know, so well, well done to the Enemy for that. This was when they were raucous as fuck. 
I, I guess you know pre folk, pre um, REM, and all that. You know, it's it's naive as fuck. The writing of the song doesn't make a lot of sense, but no, it no, really no. works. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's such a bizarre like the drum beat, the the, the the way that the guitar falls on the accent, the 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 fact that the clean guitar comes at the end instead of the start. And mm-hmm. the song is a beautiful eye. The song is a beautiful eye. I know that one day when you die. It's it's very counterintuitive, but yet I, this I mentioned this in the part in the part one. There was a, there were songs that took a while, and I probably wouldn't have gone into Idlewild if I didn't yeah. have this collection on repeat. And slowly I realised like that's fucking great. It's really weird. And yeah, because within the chaos, there's very sort of subtle melodies that you there's can good hear. Good melodies, in good it. melodies. There's yeah, good melody at the end, especially. Yeah, it saves lyrical it. content's amazing yeah. as well. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, this uh, track is so urgent. It's one minute fifty eight seconds, and aye. it's just it's on a Kerrang CD, and it's heavy, but not that heavy. Yeah, it's still, it's they're still an indie band rather than a metal band. Yeah, but this was the introduction to Outer World. Um, aye, totally. Another shout out to to Scott D. This is probably the first proper gig I went to. It was King Tuts. It mm. probably was 98. It's the first time I crowd surfed. We've talked about my crowd yes. surfing antics on this uh, show before. But yeah, Scott D put me up and I had my first ever crowd surf to um, Edelweld at King Tuts. And it would have been 98. I think a song is a beautiful lie is one of his best moments in oh, terms beautiful. of just nailing yeah. the... Because he started believing his own hype as a poet. Yeah, uh, definitely. Which we definitely talk did. about. But like, yeah, I mean, they were just still barely teenagers here so mm. you know there's an interesting contrast here as well because it this represents such opposing ideas of what is subversive and also opposing sort of takes on what people uh, got from Nirvana right Idlewild have gone for this snotty punky awkwardness right whereas Cold yeah. which is very much making nods towards Nirvana but has extracted all the stodgy conformity and all the kind of appropriated grungy mm-hmm. Capitalism, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. It, cold have taken from Nirvana the stuff that I think even Nirvana weren't very keen on, yeah. and Idlewild have taken the stuff from Nirvana that is probably truer to the spirit of the band, despite not having that croony, you know, closed vowel thing. Yeah, closed vowel. That's it. Yeah, you're right. Um, I think for me, I, I looked at the track list and went Idlewild, but then you hear the song, you're like, oh, it yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, right? totally. It's really aggressive and raggedy you know I don't know if they ever appeared on another Kerrang CD they did get good reviews they were in the magazine um, yeah, yeah. but I, d- I don't think they ever quite fitted in and I can't imagine they would have moved to Mojo or something yeah exactly like I, can Im- I, I, yeah. I can imagine even on 100 Broken Windows their label was probably pitching to you know Melody Maker rather than Kerrang I know there was a kind of honeymoon period as well though, around about 2000 because I remember I was reading the magazine in the bus to university and uh, Mogwai started making appearances in Kerrang as well you know, getting double page spreads about them. So mm-hmm. there was a kind of awareness of, of the Scottish sort of, not in fact, not just the Scottish, but a, a number of Scottish bands, you know, the band Foil, I first got into them via Kerrang as well, and they were getting some pretty, you know, decent reviews. And I think they're a band that probably should have done better as well. We'll talk about them in future, I'm sure. But no, nah, I mean, Kerrang had time for either well, they, it, but yeah, you're right. At, at this stage of their career, they got far too slick later on to make it in. 
Well, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't. I can't say if that's true or not. But I definitely seen um, you held the world in your arms and crying TV. Oh, oh absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And that was um, the big video, the one on the bus, and uh, that kind of weird guitar drop on it. Yeah. A, a modern way of letting go was was a big one as well. You mm. know, because it was really heavy and fast. And American English was even on. Yeah. There, yeah. I'm sure. But that was when they started to get into the folky stuff, and then mm. it just didn't. It was nearly. Like but crying TV also, you know, like used to put on gorillas and that's true. you know they yeah. they. They were looking for content at some point. So. I was just going to say as well, it's quite funny that this has got the most aggressive guitar sound of the first three songs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first know, three songs are, you know, <laughs> quote-unquote metal songs. Um, so there wasn't there, there wasn't a huge amount of Scottish band coverage, but a little bit. There was a lot of Swedish band coverage. Oh, was a lot, man. Oh, my goodness, yes. yes. So... Craig, I have I have no shame here. I love that. <laughs> yeah, so I I know Slings you like the backyard babies, and they were a it was a kind of music that I just never got. So see that entire world of like helicopters, backyard babies, even over here we had like Torquemada and bands that sort of tried to take mm-hmm. that sound and make it their own as well. So it's a strange thing here. At the time, I really didn't like it. Right, I thought it was so boring and traditional, and it was. It was a kind of timeless sound, but in a way that I found very uninspiring. And yet the timelessness of that sound means that this track is aged amongst the best of all of the songs on this because that rock and roll thing is just so archetypal. It's the same. So they they were such a staple of the kind of mid level venue scene from mm-hmm. probably ninety eight till probably even the mid two thousands. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we we you and I, Chris, probably were quite exposed to it in Glasgow with bands like Torquemada. A lot of our mates were in those scenes where it was that kind of guttural rock and roll, spitting eyeliner, tap saff, leather jacket kind of fucking hankies and tattoos, <clears throat> and shite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, I I saw them either headline or support someone probably literally every few months when I was young. Uh, Dragon, obviously being the standout, just cool looking cunt, um, super low slung guitar. Also, you've seen them every other month for the helicopters and stuff as well, and you can't go wrong with that that same riff that which is that bend on the E and the D for pretty much every song. Yeah, I just, I just, this, this song is probably their highlight. It's just a, it's a good club banger. You can play it in a club as well. Little anecdote: I mean, seen them playing with a band called uh, the Famous Monsters. Don't know if you remember them. Yep, they were a kind of surf rock band, and they had Sean Jules from uh, White Zombie in them. Another shout out to Scott D. We were kicking around with a camcorder back back in those days, mm-hmm. and we were big fans of the uh, the Pantera home videos. And in one of those videos, uh, Pantera playing a gig with White Zombie and Sean Jewell from White Zombie says, "Stop filming and start partying." <laughs> on the Pantera video, so out the back of uh, Tuts when we were about seventeen, I think uh, we got to see the same thing on our camcorder. And at that time, we thought that was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> so that was a good time. Um, I mean, there was just a never-ending supply of this kind of music, though. Like, I'm not yeah. saying the Backyard Babies weren't a good example of it, but there just were so many. But they they had grown up watching Motley Crue happen. Yeah. So they were like, yeah. "Well, I want to just keep doing that." Yeah, I mean, they're still Hanoi, Hanoi Rocks was a big one. For Hanoi yeah, Rocks, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say as well, 
I remember girls liking this and to be honest it, that was such a fucking male orientated music scene at that time that you know fair play you know th- th- this band started in 1989 and they've still got the same line up today that's fucking mad pretty incredible I remember them because uh, one of my best friends um, he's a huge fan of this kind of like Scandi rock and roll to me this band are no helicopters and no turbo negro they're, I mean they're fine but I think those two bands do significantly better um, but I think the song's alright these guys band. were sexy as fuck though Yeah you know? mm-hmm. Like I that's guess true. the hives and stuff They put the suits on These mm-hmm. guys took the tabs off <laughs> And that was I guess that's why chicks dig it <laughs> Yeah I think it's, it, it, They ended up being lumped in With the whole The whole like Hives of Scandinavian thing Just by dint of that happening But that was a few years after this Yeah it was mm. um, So Then there's a really anomalous track to me 12 Rods And the, the, the song Red I knew virtually nothing about this band and I had to investigate them. Uh, yeah, I'd never heard of it. No, they're from Minnesota via Ohio. One of them ended up playing with Kid Dakota and the Mountain Goats. Um, the the vocal has this really weird nasal Ozzy Osbourne delivery. The music's a tiny bit mathy, sort of alt-rock, a little bit proggy. There's some synths in there. It's a, it's a strange fish. I don't hate it, but even years later, it, it makes much less impression than songs I used to actively dislike, for example, like Backyard Babies or Feeling, uh, which we'll talk about later. The weird thing is, though, about this band, this was from an EP called Gay, question mark, which was reviewed in the early years of Pitchfork, and it received mm-hmm. one of the only 10 out of 10 yeah. ratings that that publication ever handed out. And the next album got 9.7. Yeah, the next album got uh, in their best albums of the 1990s. What's really interesting is, though, that it was then <laughs> revised out of that list, and we've spoken about this on the, on the Pitchfork Effect uh, mixtape, where Pitchfork goes back in time and edits its history to fit with what was cool and what wasn't cool. So Pitchfork given 10 out of 10 and then 9.7 out of 10 to a band called 12 Rods that even I, as a bit uh, an enthusiast at this point, can't remember anything about. It's just Pitchfork up to their old tricks. You know, it's it's pretty annoying. The, the album definitely... It, it doesn't merit that rating. They're not. No. They're, 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 they're Apparently, one band that they are, I think they played with Brainiac. Mm-hmm. Okay, that would make sense. So yeah. that's that's like my only touchstone. That quasi mathiness, that technicality. Yeah, you feel like it could be Thule and then it, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I couldn't be asked with this song <laughs> at Same. all. And it sounds like Ozzy's worst output kind of thing. Um, yeah. But the incongruous thing on the CD with this is this track comes in at 6 minutes and 19 seconds. I know. Yeah. And yeah. for a for a cover mount CD, that's definitely one you're skipping. Definitely. Yeah, and you've got you've got bonus content on the CD ROM to you know you're taking up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's half a yeah. that's, that's, uh, going, so, going going from Idleworld at one minute fifty eight to you know backyard babies a, a nice clean three minutes to six minutes nineteen with this yeah dirty Aussie stuff. It was uh, I, I don't know who liked this band apart from Pitchfork. I didn't uh, even finish it. I didn't even get to the end of the song. It was yeah, yeah so yeah, boring for me. So a gratuitous. Question marks again. Uh, therapy. Therapy. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, legendary awesome band. band, legendary Irish outfit for a number of reasons. Screamager, uh, which I think was the title track from the album. Yeah, this uh, is like this is live. one of the biggest songs. Cool wee riff, but yeah, yeah. but live. So why, who, why, Weaver? Weaver, who was first to do this riff? Because that riff, da, da, da. Uh, crazy time. No, no, no. Every country dog has done it. Like biggest yeah, riff is probably the offspring. No, what was the tune? Um, the kids aren't. Oh yeah, all the right kids aren't. All right. Right. Yeah, but this was before uh, that. This was before sure, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Screamage was it the progenitor of that riff? You know. So let's. Seems like a lot of songs sound like it. Setting aside the the sort of cult nature of therapy for a moment, I don't know about anybody else here, but I always felt a bit shortchanged when I got a live version. You know, if you don't know the. Band. Especially if they were as probably drunk as they are <laughs> on this recording. <laughs> but see, if you don't know the band, it, it, it's usually effectively a lesser version of the tune. Yeah. If you do know them, okay, I get it, it's fine. I suppose the target was obsessives who were somehow swayed into interest by a track they probably already know, but I generally feel like these things were a bit of a missed opportunity. You know, it's a decent rendition. There's nothing particularly different about it, but if you're a bit sloppy, if you, it, and in my notes, I've got the the drum fills are really fucking wonky on the drummer's part. Yeah, and he's not he's and normally a fairly solid drummer, so. But it's also yeah, if you're tra- you know I have the same thoughts about a track that will, c- will come up shortly. I, I just think it's yeah. I think I think it's an odd choice to do the live thing, and I wonder who decided that. Is that the label? Is that the band? Is that the magazine? Because I, I I feel like there was always one or two live tracks on every compilation. So I get the who feeling decided which one was going to be that. This may be one of those breadcrumb things where we can start to piece together how these things came together, because. I suspect that therapy were asked by the magazine to take part because they were fucking like yeah. hot shit and cool mm. and a different side of the market. And therapy were unwilling to give an album track, but they said you can have. Yeah, this. you can have. A, yeah, which is weird because to me it devalues them because it doesn't sound as good. But for them, they're like, oh, we're not yeah, giving away the well produced track. Of their biggest biggest hits. Why would they? Why would they put an inferior version of it on yeah. it? Can but then, so? why would there they then? Some other label why thing? would they then give away a high resolution version of it? when they could put out a teaser i can kind of see the logic yeah. even though i don't agree but with this it. this is the thing if you if you're going to try and get new fans you want to put a very high impact song forward yeah. um they obviously just also probably believe that their live version is good enough yeah therapy are probably a band that you should probably talk about on a podcast at some point because they're 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 pretty they're you know well known to us i guess but you know looking at that time 98 like andy cairns he had to have that it was a nafis goatee of all time <laughs> it was david brent he just looks like your pal who works on life insurance and can <laughs> yeah. just had a wane but then plays in one of the best british bands we've ever had <laughs> like so, are amazing talking about like strange sort of songs to put forward uh Shostakovich by Symposium oh, yeah. the eighth track You remember this band they were sort of like nearly men of brit rock but i guess yeah well i always got mixed up with them between three colors red 
but they're not. Well, see, yeah, so they're <laughs> they're of that time, which was just sort of proto Brit rock, right? Because mm. two of them went on to form Hell Is for Heroes. Yeah, that's right, Actually, yeah. one mm. of them went on to do stuff with Hot Chip, I think, as well. Yeah. Mm. Um, and it, mm. they were, yeah, they were probably forefathers of that. They they had unbelievable fucking tours. I mean, this band got so much effort put behind them. They toured with Red Hot Chili Peppers, Foo Fighters, Deftones, and No Doubt. I mean, that is like mm-hmm. the biggest fucking bands of that era. And they still I remember, they, they were one of the bands who were known for their live show. I think their singer was... Um, I, I remember seeing them several times. They were always supporting someone, and, and the guy would just absolutely go hell for leather. He dislocated like, um, his leg going, on going stage. Yeah. Dislocated his leg during yeah, the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but mean, they, always, they got covered a lot in Kerrang as well. Yeah, they did. But they, do you remember Morat, the the guy with the mohawk that used to? He was a <laughs> yeah. yeah. In this issue of Kerrang, he does the singles and gives Symposium one k out of five because oh. he just fucking hates it. So yeah. like, they're obviously he's probably like, oh, why is the editor giving more fucking coverage to this shit band? <laughs> so what I think's really weird is, as far as I I know, this was. Not released. Not one of the good ones. Uh, but I don't think it was on an album. I yeah, I noticed that as well. And I it's just by youth, the album that they did. Yeah, that's strange as well. Yeah, they've killed uh, kill joke. But um, it, shout out to their name, though. I'm very jealous. Symposium from the Greek it means drinking party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That, that would have been one you'd have used. Um, but no, I think it's interesting that the I think it was a B side. Uh, on something and it's a strange choice again to put as a foot forward. You don't want to give away your album tracks, but I think the thing is. Symposium weren't as heavy as this track makes them sound. Do you know what I mean? It, it, the whole thing is a bit cheap because it hinges on that one big and okay, fairly decent riff. is just a magnitude beefier than a lot of what they did. For me, they were sort of like weak-voiced, upbeat rock act between A and, you know, Hell is for Heroes, the band they went on to form. Um, it, the tune itself, that mid-register scream that the guy does is admittedly fucking badass. It's a really, really good one. The, the superstructure of the song around that riff, though, and especially the vocal melodies are piss weak so the novelty of that song wore off I, I was initially impressed I remember just loving a good riff back in that day but it didn't have any uh, you know lasting appeal because once you'd heard it you were like oh, the, the, the fucking melody in this is dog shit I thought the production was quite ropey it sounded like a bit like a demo to me like maybe they just did it for this compilation yeah um, I think that's what we're going to talk especially in the next track as well and as we discussed with therapy I think there must have been some kind of deal with like we need to have something like 15 to 20 tracks on this government CD so can I give us what you got I think that probably explains that symposium choice which doesn't represent the band very well I don't think the Screamage or by Therapy live version represented it very well and I don't think the next one Catherine Wheel which is another long live version really represents that band very well either And I'm faced by the thorn We've covered Catherine Wheel on the show before. Yeah, you've talked about it a lot. Yeah, and, and Texture was a popular song for fans of theirs. I personally, as much as I advocate for the band, I, I don't particularly like a song at all, even in the studio version. As we said with Therapy, I find it perplexing because 
especially if you play watery, weak need stuff like this tune, you got to let your audience know what you actually sound like, especially mm. in a rock magazine. So you want a, a studio-produced song with a bit of power behind it, because as much as I don't like the song very much, the studio version is beefy and it's very shoegazy and very saturated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds I, like Jarvis Cocker doing shoegaze, and you know, yeah. really I mean, terrible. I remember it being on here back in the day. I, I do remember listening to it, and it didn't get me on board with them. Yet I got into the band later, so they failed in that respect. They they had an, an audience that was sympathetic to them, and they didn't get me when I was right there in front of them. So it was a bad choice. You know, I mean, it just it just was yeah. a bad choice. Yeah. Um, I can imagine it going across okay, maybe in the enemy of the melody maker, but I never really saw it hoovering up many other casual Kerrang readers. Yeah, he, he didn't want it on a metal magazine. Uh, side note for Weaver here: uh, it's uh, the singer is Bruce Dickinson's cousin. Yeah, that's so, right, isn't it? Yeah, maybe, Matt, maybe Matt he just got, got in there because of that. <laughs> well, his voice is dreadful on this. It's a really bad. Just a really bad live. Just a bad recording. The guitars yeah. don't uh-huh. sound nice. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so. just surprised this kind of recording would be allowed on a government. Uh, yeah, totally. know, they must have really been scraping the battle with the budget or or the deal that they had with the labels to say, yeah, we we need this on it because anyone listening to this would go, unless you're a massive Catherine Wheel fan and really looking for those live intricacies, you're not gonna you're not gonna get anything. Yeah, who benefits from, from them being on this? I don't know. The next song. Uh, as a Who benefits from this big on? Yeah, I was, it's, so it's, it's, I can't help myself by feelings. Were a female singer even allowed? Just the one, just Sorry, feeling, feeling one cat. I just, uh, yeah, I've got one cat now. So. <laughs> um, were female singers even allowed at this period? Of rock <laughs> yeah, music? No, no. <laughs> um, you know, a bit like Backyard Babies, there was always some kind of blues tinged punky snot and roll act around for all the guys over 40 with leather jackets. And yes, I am now a guy over 40. I'm almost one of them. Leather jackets. <laughs> um, that's also why I feel like this tune actually probably aged better than most since that. Well, funnily enough, I actually, a support band, a punk gig last night, sounded exactly like this. Just exactly. <laughs> it's a timeless sound. I was sound. like, oh, oh, well, there you are. They're still doing this. In my notes here, I've said, this is a definition of a Kerrang! CD band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. big festivals. They had all the big supporting gigs and all that, and they just went nowhere. I would say I've never even heard of them. Yeah, I don't think I heard of them. I, I don't mind the track, to be fair. I think the, the track's pretty good. Produced by Chris Sheldon, but Foos still sounds pretty Biffy. amateur. Kind of 80s, kind of Susie vibes. Yeah, yeah. But the guitars are just a bit too scooped for that sound though. It kind of ruins something that could have been cooler. Like, it's not the worst track in the CD. Um, and the end of it actually goes kind of kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Kind of that kind of precursor to kind of yeah, yeah, yeah's kind of well. But if the gar- guitars hadn't been so scooped, it would have been a hell of a lot cooler. But yeah, who are this band? <laughs> 
it does a genre thing well without being spectacular, right? Um, the main songwriter in the band was called Grog. Uh, her real name was Georgina <laughs> Preble. Um, they did two albums as a band and then somebody, uh, I think it was a record company or their management team, persuaded them to change their name to Ultraviolet so they could re-sign to a different record label. But the whole thing backfired and the band just ended up collapsing. Uh, I have actually heard this band before. Um, they did a cover of the song Air That I Breathe by The Hollies. For a compilation album, a double compilation album called Come Again, which was a kind of covers collection, and that was easily one of the best covers on that, along with the Sparkle Horse Tom York version, I Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Um, it's, I, I, you know what, I think this band probably did have something there. I actually, I think it's quite charismatic. Do you so. know what Grog did next? Grog, well, first of all, did uh, some session work as a live bassist with Mel C and Kelly Osborne. That's right, aye, shit. Um, but then she also started another band called Die So Fluid. Ah, that's right, yeah. So, and they, they supported Drowning Pool, Vex Red, Feeder, Boy Hits Car, The Wild Heart. It's the Yeah, kept kept going for like an. Well, I think they are they are genuinely still going. Die so fluid. So there you go. Well done, Grog. Uh, addict caned. You know. Best on Temple Pilots, isn't it? Well, I, no, I, it I, sounds I, very much of its era. I know, just thought it was, it was like octave chords, you know. Yeah, that, it's like that Bush early feeder sort of shit. Yeah, so they, they, they actually draw Bush comparisons in a few things. They were described in a few forums as post-grunge. The Stones album that they brought out had a, a lot of Bush moments on it. I, I don't remember a lot of that. I remember seeking these guys out on the basis of this on the CD though because I mean obviously I was a mark for grunge stuff back then so it's worked in that sense I mean I do remember getting at least a single I don't remember them doing a lot after that did I maybe catch them at a show I think so uh, I think they sound a lot like Hellas for Heroes more so than some of the grunge comparisons yeah I, f- I think that's a slate on Bush like I think Bush are a lot better than this band you know, this is another one of those examples of a completely forgettable band. And again, like I'm, I'm really surprised at the quality of the recording. Like the vocals go all over oh, the show, horrible. pretty yeah, fucked parts. Horrible. The overall mix is just all over the place, and it's just like I say, another fine example of a completely forgettable band. Even though you know you totally remember Bush, but I'm sure there's some drug addict in a in a pub in Camden right now telling some. Some wee lassie that he was in a band called Addict. <laughs> <laughs> Allegedly. Still to this day. So, but, but here's the thing, right? That dodgy recording quality actually really defined the early days of Hells for Heroes, yet they managed to benefit from it. Their first couple of singles. Because they had riffs. Yeah. Yeah, but their first singles were really popular, yet were fucking terribly recorded. Um, I mean, I think actually Addict make a 
slightly better job of things than Symposium for for what it's worth. Um, yeah, believe, I agree. Believe it or not, by the way, I found a Washington Post review of of Addict. <laughs> right, so they must have been doing something right, um, which was very complimentary. It had some interesting reflections, like uh, Aston. I can't remember the guy's first name. Has an aptitude for melody that suggests Britpop more than Black Sabbath. Uh, they've produced a credible hard rock album that has nimbly negotiated a course between cliche and bombast. I mean. I think it's alright. I, I definitely wouldn't go out my way to find it now, but back in the day, this hit the mark. I went and got it, and being that I was a fucking grunge poster child, still am sitting here in a... This pitch. song reminds me of learning guitar, you know, learning I totally chords, and just kind of going up from the 5 to the 7, and learning bands like Addict or Silverchair or Year 2000, things like that. Down, down, you know? Just like, Craig, you take the fucking lead. Clawfinger. Yeah, to our Swedish correspondent over here. Right, <laughs> so some more more Swedish stuff that I have absolutely no recollection of. No way, I can't say I like it much. Clawfinger seem to be a band that a lot of people know, and then a lot of people have literally never heard of. That's mad, Craig. I thought you would have been a fucking absolute mark for these nah. guys. Clawfinger. Nah, their, their message was <laughs> is far too healthy for me back in those days. Clawfingered. Massive, massively anti-racist band. Uh, pretty healthy message throughout. A massively anti-racist band that were the victims of entirely the opposite because of their single mm. titled N-word. Yeah. They've, they won a couple of Swedish Grammys. Yeah, they um, did. But go on their YouTube channel and it is a fucking nightmare because the comments are absolutely riddled with people that did yeah. not see the irony in the title of that song. To worry about. That's the way they do it. This is how it turns out. Um, yes. So there's a whole host of Clawfinger fans on there Trying to put people to rights Like you're not fucking welcome here This track's called that Because they don't mm. believe that And you should fuck <laughs> off And it's just a total midden um, What I do remember just, about Clawfinger That's an enigma Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> what, I, what I do remember about Clawfinger Was that they had a single called Two Sides That I actually quite liked Which had this really strong Arabian thing through it With a female uh, you know, Middle Eastern vocal in the chorus <laughs> That line, I don't believe in the goddamn need to worship thing was totally <laughs> hooky. They were like this very atheistic band, you know. I, actually, as bad as they are in hindsight, and I'm aware of the fact that they're fucking stodgy, I, I remember actually really liking it. Um, do you know they're still a band? Yep. They're still a fucking yeah, no, fully fucking operational hell. thing. They're working on a project to re-record the entire Deaf Dumb Blind album that had that N-word single on it with, two, with, with, with a series of guest players <laughs> including two members of Rammstein the only thing is I get the feeling that project's been in development for about 14 years and it probably will never 
ever happen. So mo- most of the tunes on this the CD, um, this one is really dated of its time. You know that kind of siren effect in the background? Yeah. And they've got a bunch of kind of electronic effects on it. It really dates it. Yeah, it's that, that industrial new metal time. crossover. Totally, yeah. Pretty yeah. much yeah. only and from 1997. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's not the worst of the songs in the album, but it's really dated. This, this song is so new metal that I can actually, I feel like I can actually smell how sweaty these guys were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just need to, I just want to put them in a shower. No, these guys lived in communes. That's <laughs> what I think. It wasn't uh wasn't the the largesse of uh, new metal. I don't think. But uh, but yeah, they they threw enough shit at the wall, as you were saying, Chris. They they tried to bring in other influences and uh, just. Uh, but I, I get the feeling these guys were held in pretty high regard. You know, certainly their anti-racist yeah. thing aged well. They were ahead of the pack on a lot of the messaging because mm-hmm. let's not forget that fucking new metal was a misogynistic, quite homophobic, mm-hmm. fucking very white guy fucking with exceptions, but very white guy led genre, right? Mm-hmm. And Clawfinger at least. We're bringing a sort of like almost like the punk scene sort of messaging to the new metal scene, and yeah, kudos for that at least. Uh, can we agree? But I wonder how they got on this compilation because they're they're a bit of a, an outlier there for Sweden. Well, they, but they sold a lot of records. <laughs> just a, just a Swedish thing, yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. that was in a band in Sweden <clears throat> is on this compilation. <laughs> 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 Um, Let's get fucking a bang, serious. A banger coming up. Oh, next. Fu Manchu, Evil Eye. Fu Manchu are fucking great. Like I really like Fu Manchu. Even now, it's a standout. Um, on this one, a stoner rock band that were different. To the likes of the other stoner rock bands They weren't like Nebula They had again that skateboarding affiliation They were a lot cooler and breezier and lighter and Oh yeah 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 Isn't the album cover of this yeah, guy, a guy, guy doing a half plate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, is it uh, the action is go is the album. Yeah, yeah. and they appeared on this one. A lot of skating videos and stuff as yeah, well. Yeah. You know those kind of compilation videos used to be on Channel Five. It's a great tune. Badass fucking tones in it. Um, I, I heard this first, but I didn't actually get into uh, Fu Manchu until uh, Trapeze Freak, which was, I think, an earlier song. But I just, it mm. was for me a better access point. I think I got it on a tape of a Bruce Dickinson Radio 1 show, and years later it really clicked to me. And I went back and got into Action Is Go and Evil Eye and all those kind of tunes. Fucking great band. They're almost certainly going to be in an episode at some am point. I, am I right in saying, Chris, that these, these guys, I assumed they were British for some reason because no, they were California, a staple of those mid level tours. They were on, the, they were like the Skindred or something like that, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, looking into it, it was like, oh, fuck, they're American. Mm. And it's brand York from Caius in there as well. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, absolute fucking cred to them. But, um, yeah, I guess, you know, quality fucking rises to the top as well. And this, yeah, this, this is one of the top tunes on the CD, I would say. Speaking of top, top tunes. tunes, right? Let's, let's, <laughs> okay, this is, this is interesting. Track 14, Psychor's Full oh. Blood Freak. <laughs> Do 
Once again, our Swedish contingent. Yeah, no. Now, yeah. I know. Now, I remember them to fuck because the guy was a big bald cunt and he had the mad tattoo. Did he? Aye. I just remember that because I don't think I ever listened they to it. They had him. a look. Um, they had a vibe. You know what? I, Swedish um, correspondent here says, I have no clue about, <laughs> and they're completely forgettable. <laughs> but the, the thing is, this fucking it, trash. This is not the right version, <laughs> or this is not the version that's on the album. Yeah, it's this a is a this is a re- this, <laughs> this is, is a, a reprise reprise version. Yeah, and it's, it's like half like the it, yeah. half the time this doesn't actually sound like them. They're 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 a heavy band. One minute thirty one seconds. So so why here, is it on there? So here's the thing, right? <laughs> a couple of theories here. This could could be a mistake. Yeah, maybe they just sent over the wrong file. It, because this is a reprise of the actual song One it, minute 31 yeah, yeah, and they went to all that trouble uh, That said, right, Psycho, there's something to me really fucking compelling and interesting about this band Because they make no fucking sense, okay uh, for, for starters, this tune sounds so much like a Betty era song by Helmet <laughs> uh, That was called <laughs> The Silver Hawaiian mm-hmm. um, Which is the same thing, it's sort of in the album as a, a reprise And it, honestly, I'll put it in here, it sounds... Very, very similar, right? And it's not just the fact that they both use the piccolo snare. Um, it's not just the kind of vaguely comedic spoken word sort of lowrider vibes, you know. It's just there's a creepy kind of weird eccentricity of this band. And, and and as I say, going back, I'm really curious about this band. I think I will spend a little bit of time listening to them. They may be ghastly, right? They had a crappily animated faux manga video for a song that I think was the biggest one called I Go Solo. I listen if you're sad. It was on MTV too a lot at the time. The Zoo was another big one. Was it? Yeah. Right, okay. Um, this song's really odd. Sort of compelling though in that bizarreness. Um, it, the, the, the Wikipedia for them, by the way, says the specific time of their disbandment is not known. <laughs> um, and, and it's worth noting that uh, Psychor, by the way, is also shorthand for psychedelic trance music. And thus, if you go on YouTube, there's loads of those super long mm-hmm. videos with shit animations designed for like Thai beach parties and stuff like that. But um, So I've got, a, I've got a theory on this one. Okay, and you've talked about this in previous episodes. It's about the running time of how yeah. much shit you can get onto the actual disc. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. think they were speaking with the Swedish consulate and said, "Okay, <laughs> we've got <laughs> we've got all these bands on it, and it's like we have one minute thirty one seconds left on this disc." Do any of your bands have that? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and then it was just absolutely shoehorned in there. 
Yeah, we've used all 744 megabytes. It goes back to, and probably also goes back to part of what Dave was saying, is like, they're probably part of a package with another band on the label. Yeah, yeah. And but like, with that, why exactly, choose yeah. this song, though? Why choose this song? Probably because of the time. I reckon, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I reckon totally. this is probably 48 minutes long, almost exactly this CD. Yeah, yeah. The thing is, though, the, the, <laughs> there has to be a counterproductive factor here where people heard Psycho and went, that's that fucking weird song well, for that I, CD. I read a good review, but that sounds pish. Yeah, I don't want to go and see them or hear them again. Yeah, and totally. it's, it's actually putting your worst foot forward in the sense of I don't think it's the worst route I think it's actually got interesting but I do think it's counterproductive if you don't sound like it you know what I mean the guitarists end up joining Leather Nun yeah funnily yeah. enough I was going to say we don't have a Nexus this uh, episode but Leather Nun are the ultimate Nexus band, ultimate Nexus yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, okay last track in the album this is an interesting one right and as of last night I was treading very fucking cautiously about this right because we had a really strange uh, coincidence of timing in this right first of all the song's really bad There's, there's, there's no getting away from it right? So let's talk about what the band are called Freakspert And uh, this track is called Freaky Ones So this reminds me a lot of what was going on at the time um, The best of it probably being bands like Downset That kind of good music with a kind of a rappy thing over it And then the worst of it in my eyes being like Limp Bizkit But I know a lot of people like Limp Bizkit And we've talked about them quite a lot on this because it's 1998 So I don't really recall this band Freakspert with two E's But uh I've probably seen them with someone like, you know, Vacant Stare or Number One Sun. One Minute or, Silence. You know, around those time. Yeah, One Minute Silence, Kill to This, all that, you know. Um, I didn't know it was a Scottish guy, but then listening to this song, you know, See the Animals in the Jungle, it's very much in a kind of Scottish vein. When we were talking in advance, you said you've got a, <laughs> you've got an origin story, yeah, or something coming on. The plot thickens, right? Because there's not a lot out about this band, and there's not a lot of music out in the ether. There's a really, really tough going live video <laughs> of them performing, right? But uh, first of all, I found out that the drummer came from a Christian metal band called Seventh Angel, also. thrash metal band. They were all music for a thrash nations. metal band, right? But Christian thrash metal band, which is definitely also a strip club called Seventh Angel, <laughs> right? But the I think the David's pulled up some artwork. You can from get you can buy the album on eBay, and it's well, the album's called Ice Scream, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just got clever. It's got like a big plastic ice cream on the front down at you know the beach arcade or whatever and the font is like yeah it's like spray paint like uh, yeah oh uh, i mean it looks like goldie looking chain or something so so here's the thing right so you said downset and i think downset are a, a different proposition to this right downset were a sort of like hardened ghetto proper gang banging heavy downset were just a band i really loved at the time and again i keep i keep saying this but that's probably one you should talk about because i can't imagine many people listening to this will have heard of downset Down, 
No, but I mean, Downset are kind of OG in the sense that yeah, they're yeah. the real deal. This is like, but, but as we found out, a Scottish guy. And they're this one is of the Argoths. Yeah, exactly, the Argoths. I was saying that. This is like one step off. Remember Maddox's band from Stirling? Yeah. I think every town had a band like this. The the new yeah, metal band. Exactly. And, and so it turns out, beyond that drummer for the Christian metal band, that one of the vocalists in this is a guy named McGee. From Stirling. And the reason I found that is because underneath one of their videos on YouTube, he's chatting with one of their fans. He fucking put up his phone number. <laughs> Did you call him? Right, so here's the thing, right? So he puts up his phone number and I was it's a it's a bad live video and I was like, okay, I suppose we could ring him to find out, right? And then I'm like I'm like, oh, I'm like Craig and I grew up in Stirling and I'm like if, if there was a guy getting on the Kerrang compilation CDs, man, I would have assumed we would have known who the fuck that guy was, right? No idea. Exactly. Nay idea. So it turns out he had a few projects. At, at one point, he had the same manager as Maloko. I got that off his Facebook. Anyway, so <laughs> things hell. things started to get a bit grim, right? So I was trying to verify if I had the right guy, and I was trying to see if I knew who he was. And fuck me, man, that, that boy, by the way, he seems like a lovely guy. I will say that first and foremost. Like, he was... His posts were so fucking good-natured now. It seems like a real dude. He had a rough year. I don't know how much it was to do with COVID, but he's lost members of his family and fucking, all, like, all the best of the guy. And, you know, one of the things we spoke about when we were doing this was how do people's lives go after these CDs? I mean, this guy, he did do other projects. I know that from, from what he's posted. But I get the feeling this was, like, one of the kind of, like, peak moments of that. And where did the folk end up after this? And actually, yesterday, you know, people were a bit concerned about his well-being. And, you know, I hope the guy's doing well. I do not like this music at all but um it it was kind of fascinating to get that little moment of insight inadvertent insight into what happened to some of these folk that weren't max cavalera what happened to some of these folk that weren't roddy wimble where did they fucking end up and what are they doing with themselves now and the fact is i mean he's probably a far nicer guy for the looks of things than a lot of these people probably ended up being but with so many of these bands the bands like 12 rods like it is interesting to think about them just sort of sinking back into the ether after this one little thing, you know, with Psycho or where the, the Wikipedia is like, wait, we don't even know when they split up. And that kind of thing is really fascinating. What happened to these folk, you know? I just want to say as well, though, but before we move on, the boy's good. He's all right. He's back online today. He's in good shape. He was watching some more tunes and posting them up. So that's why I feel comfortable enough talking about it. That actually comes back to what we were talking about in the Enemy episode, right? It's a sort of nostalgia thing. Yeah, so I've, I've been watching a lot of kind of B-movie documentaries on musicians and stuff on Amazon Prime. Documentaries on bands that I don't particularly like very much, like Semisonic or Wheatus and all the rest <laughs> oh of it, and seeing God, their, their journey. Jesus. And yeah, and these, these are bands who've um, had their time in the sun, but then what happened afterwards? For some people, like we're talking about, um, Freak Spirit here, you know, this may have been the highlight of their career, you know, Feline, Addict, you know, this may have been the, the, the highest circulation they got. So. Yeah. I don't know. How does that nostalgia go now? Yeah, like it led to their about? appearance at Download Door Reading and, mm. you know, all their pals went and that was a big fucking time in their life. You take mm. it. Oh, super nice. super right. highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah, you definitely take it. But nowadays, it's this whole nostalgia trip, as you were talking about on the In Me episode about, you know, there's all these festivals that are completely dedicated to that. Yeah, not, not even just that, but like things like crowdfunding platforms can sustain bands like In Me and like Semisonic and stuff like that. Well, Semisonic are an interesting case because Dan Wilson's like a big songwriter in Hollywood, uh, like basically for huge artists, but Semisonic also had to play his music. 
you know, and they are raising money to, for their record, obviously just for the fans that still remember them. Mm-hmm. So that I guess mm-hmm. there are there are some bands that can rise back out because they've had just enough level of fame where they can kind of still cut on to something. And our, our bands like the ones we just spoken about, like Psycho and Freak Spirit and all that, which just it was one fifteen minutes of fame and then it just burnt out completely. So fingers crossed if you're travelling around festivals in the north of England this summer you might catch Heather Smalls, Toya Wilcox and Freak Spirt. Oh right, <laughs> <fucking> class. <laughs> At Hamilton Racecourse. <laughs> when, when I learned to ice skate it was moving on up by M people playing in the, on the jukebox at the Stirling Ice Rink. Chris, I'm sure you've been there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I learned to skate to the song from Dirty Dancing, Time in My Life. <sighs> An absolute belter. Sexy. Um, okay, so Another bonus item here. This was an enhanced CD. Did mm-hmm. anybody know that? Yeah, this yep. was like one of the first. Yeah. So like they all started doing enhanced content. Yep. I remember sometimes they would have demos of shoot 'em up games and stuff like that. I remember. Yeah. But nope. With this but, one, we got a uh, local the video for local by Cold Chamber <laughs> and not. I might add the full resolution video for Local by Cold Chamber, but what looks like someone with a Nokia 3210 has filmed the video for Local on another Nokia 3210. 240 Max. Did you know this was this was Jack White's first film appearance? <laughs> Jack White plays the creepy milkman who, no, he um, doesn't. who puts uh, the holiday pictures on the old... Um, <laughs> no, he doesn't. Uh, what was it called? Uh, Craig, he does not... The, he doesn't. That's Jack White. Oh, it's no. Watch the video. It's Jack White in 32 bit. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot that Cold Chamber were managed by Sharon Osborne. Like, oh, wow. Uh, that explains a lot. Because they were, they were shit. Yeah, this is the best song. <laughs> yeah. You know, this, this song sounds just as amateur as mine and Weaver's high school bands. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you go back and you obviously listen to Korn, you listen to Soulfly, you listen to a lot of these new metal bands. Although it's dated, they were at least fucking good musicians. But whenever I listen to Cold Chamber, I'm just like, they are rubbish. Mm-hmm. And like, all all parts of it are rubbish. Um, and I just feel that they were just taken and managed the fuck out of and given totally. all these opportunities. Yeah. You see, the mad thing is, I have no qualitative opinion on Cold Chamber in the sense of, as musicians, I, I've just never even considered it. I'm like, are they are they really rubbish? Are they not just playing rubbish music? No, they're rubbish. I once seen a Des for far 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 and the wimpy on Union Street. Oh wow! Devil Driver were Devil Driver were playing a, a show at the Cat House or something, and he was in the burger shop downstairs, and I was like, oh, I, <laughs> I just find it hilarious somehow. <laughs> so I, I actually had a, a CDR copy of this album that somebody gave me in school. Oh wow! And it is fucking yeah. even back then it was fucking no, garbage. It comes out. <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I loved new metal, and I was just not. Yeah. So cool. quick. Timber. All. Quick survey, but Craig, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Given that the ugly, you can make it whatever you want. <sighs> okay, so uh, the good um, probably has to be Soulfly. Any song that starts with an. <laughs> just like uh, it really appealed to me at the time when I was feeling kind of teenage rage it's probably aged kind of terribly but uh, fuck it um, it still gets me excited and it's probably the only metal song 
to reference Ian the Blowfish. So mm-hmm. kudos to that. Probably. But it was really close to the hop between Idleworld, Fu Manchu, and Backyard Babies for me. Uh, the knot would be probably 12 rods red. I just didn't dig it at all. I hate his voice more than a 95-year-old Aussie. Sounds like it was recorded in a fucking crisp packet too. Mm. Just, just, yeah, that's the knot for me. Uh, the what would be, as discussed, Psychor, Full Blood Freak. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of slovenly as fuck and not in a good way. Uh, slam, goddamn, without the slamming and the goddamning. Mm-hmm. It just didn't really go anywhere. And just incongruously kind of short. And it's just like a weird wee interlude track you would have on an album. So I don't really see why it would be on this compilation CD. So that's the what with a question mark, much like therapy. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's my hot not and what. Dave? What about you guys? Uh, well, I have to say, it's what's interesting is looking back back on it. There's not actually that much real metal, <laughs> like mm-hmm. on this. It's like a lot of grunge and yeah. a lot of you know, True. like there's no extreme metal or thrash or anything, yeah. you know. So I missed that. But fun- yeah, funnily enough, my favourite would have been Idlewild Self Healer because it's like just the best fucking track on it. <laughs> Well, the thing that I fucking hated was probably Addict, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I just hated how beige and, like, it was nearly fucking stereophonic sort of shit. Uh, and then the what? I'm going for Freak Spurt because it was kind of funny. <laughs> there was a bit of patter, and to me, it was like yeah, new metal, but they were they were not being serious. There was like that sort of bouncy incubus, crazy town vibe. Uh, but I mean it's terrible but I, I thought it was fun at least <laughs> just it was a lot more fun than Addict okay off. Mark uh, the the best song is the same as Dave Idlewild it's just the best song in the, the, the compilation full stop um, and like Dave the worst song is Addict it's, it's beige in the same sense that our, the interior of a 1994 Descorts beige it's, like, it's, it's just <laughs> what it reminded me of yeah and what is local by Cold Chamber because they took it so fucking seriously <laughs> It was a video that was really sort of capital. I watched it in full HD on YouTube just to get the full the full experience, and it yeah. was just. I watched it in two forty on Real Player. <laughs> Jack, Jack White was really good in it, though. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He started the show. 
And, uh, I had to download QuickTime again. <laughs> yeah, they just took it far too seriously for me. They take it far too seriously. Like, and I was like, that's the whole, what? Like, you understand what's happening here, right? Even in the 90s, the late 90s, you must understand how ridiculous this is, but nope. Yeah. Nope. Uh, I, the, the hot, best song is Addict. Um, <laughs> I, you know what? I, I, I might have said yeah, that back. Troll. I might have said that back in the day. Uh, I think the best band is Fu Manchu. It's not their best song, but then again, Self Healer's not Idlewell's best song. Self Healer probably made a bigger impact, um, so I'll, I'll say that as well. They're not, I mean, I really at the time, I really hated Backyard Babies, so maybe I said that, but I think in, in the long, I mean, the, the Freak Spare song's terrible, um, and the 12 Rods one's fucking just a total non-event. I don't know what the fuck it's doing there. Uh, and the what? I'm probably going to say Psycho as well, because I think it's on there as a mistake, I think it's totally counterproductive because we're all like, oh, this is terrible. What's the point of it? As Dave said, it's a reprise. That whole, you know, slam goddamn, the proper version or the, the, the main part of the album sounds nothing like this. It's twice the speed. So there's something really anomalous about it, but also the eccentricity of Psychor and the weird incongruity of them amidst that scene. I just find that really quite compelling and they may be horrendous, but I am going to go and investigate them a wee bit further to see what the fuck they were all about. A last comment on these government CDs is something... It maybe didn't start until maybe around 2000 where you would get tracks by bands that were remixes done by DJs and it'd be like digital samurai yeah. remix yeah. of fucking, you know, like a Sepultura song or a Fear Factory song or something like that. Yeah. And they became the tracks that you would skip and they would always be like tracks 16, 17 and all the rest mm-hmm. of it as well. So it's probably for further discussion, but that was that was just a fucking horrible time for music. That's maybe <laughs> analogous to the live tracks, you know, the, the remix. Yeah, yeah. They'll yeah. have had a bit of budget to fill out maybe B-sides and stuff and they're like, all right, let's stick this... Cool, uh, right, good shift guys uh, That was the first of our As yet unnamed recurring segment Where yeah. we look at these cover discs And, and we'll we do will, this again Yeah, And, we and will, it won't always be Kerrang No, no, but we'll take it from a, a I mean, we're looking at <laughs> In my very room We've got some doozies A, a pile of horrendous <laughs> cover mount discs You have been in your ma's attic See, we never mentioned this, right uh, But when I went to the charity shops looking for these The cover mount CDs are so worthless to the public now that the, the charity shops won't even sell them. I remember when they used to always be in there and now they are so devoid of value that they will not even stock them in, in boxes. I found one shop that had like a couple of shelves devoted to these and they were like 20p each, take 40 for a quid sort of thing, right? Except when you go online, you find that some of them especially those things like the C81 or the certain ones of the Kerrang, the curated mm-hmm. ones you know, they're actually quite Sought after by enthusiasts, so it's quite a quite a strange little. Uh, it's a new world. Bitcoin, fucking government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you heard uh, it here first. Yep. All right, Craig. Thanks very much, as ever. No worries. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day. We've watched the sun rise upon your beautiful face. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it has. Nine o eight a.m. now. A valid, uh, valiant yeah, shift. Very, very nice uh, to see you. 10.08pm now for us <laughs> um, Thanks for that Global logistics information Mark I'm glad you got through it um, So what we've got coming up next week Is a meaty two-parter Hefty Hefty, Hefty. 
We are doing the Beach Boys. Courtesy of Vicky. Uh, so. That's her choice. And we are going to get... Oh my god, what a lot of research. Uh, going to get dug into the career and the lunacy and the brilliance and the cheeriness of the Beach Boys. Yep, it's going to be fun. I look forward to that. Yeah, good on you. Treat. Anyway, keep up the good work, boys. And uh, best of luck. And I'll uh, talk to you next time. Hopefully next time we're doing a, doing a Metal Hammer one. Goodbye, <laughs> everybody. Ya. Bye. Bye. Peace out.